Hey, du lytter til Pressers Poetry Podcast. Previously, I've talked about William Wordsworth and this movement called Romanticism. Romanticism as a movement is very important as it's formed the way we write poetry today. Now, isn't that true of all movements before us? Well, of course. However, we call our current movement in the arts, whatever that is, we are still largely reacting to the Romantics in many ways. The philosopher George Friedrich Hegel is credited with a certain kind of process we simply call the dialectic method. But if you think back to the episode about three group sonnets, the dialectic process is something like thesis, antithesis, synthesis. In other words, the process starts with a thesis, a statement, belief, theory, and then there's a reaction directly against that, an antithesis, antithesis, the opposite reaction. And then we, at some point, looking back, see this disagreement between two ways of thinking, and we feel the pressure to come out of that. We end up seeing how the two polar opposites are really missing the point, that both are right and wrong at the same time, not in the same sense, and we come up with a third way that is somehow both thesis and antithesis, but more unified, a full-on new way out. Let's imagine you're a child on a playground playing with your friends. You have a ball, and your friend has a stick. And you say, Hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to try to hit you with the ball, and you have to try to keep away from it. The game is, whoever has the ball has to try to hit the other person. And then your friend says, "Uh Uh-uh, no, no, we're not going to play with the ball. We're going to play with a stick. And we can play... Like, we both have swords, and we can whack each other with them, or defend, like knights. And the two of you are just sitting there arguing, like children, about whether you want to spend recess playing with a ball or playing with sticks. Then imagine the teacher sees you arguing and says, Hey, what if you then use the stick to hit the ball away? Then introduces the idea of baseball. Baseball in comparison to both of the games you thought of before, is a far more refined and complicated game, played with both sticks and balls. So, ball is thesis, stick is antithesis, and then baseball takes from both of those and transcends them. That is synthesis. Before the Romantics, there was the Enlightenment period. Scientific thought and positivism was favored above all, the kingdom or nation above the individual, and so on. So the reaction to all of that was a period of fantasy, of emotion over reason, where nature is seen not as a place to learn laws, like gravity, but to experience something transcendent. This emotional swelling of being back to the roots of human nature. It was a time of dreams, of belief in genius and greatness, and this kind of experiential way of life. Well, I mean, historically speaking, we live in a time where 
neither of those two things are completely tenable. A romantic idea of a nation lends itself too easily to dictatorship and genocide, while an overly scientific way of looking at things leaves individuals behind and favors technology over being a human. What we've been looking for essentially since then is this kind of middle way. And we've been doing this for well over a century now, but especially since the World Wars. Well, this process has also happened in poetry, naturally. The message of romantic poetry, this belief in greatness and the individual and the lived experience and a kind of love of nature, those themes still stick around in much of what we produce now. In fact, even this obsession with threes, like (laughs) thesis, antithesis, synthesis, that was a romantic obsession. Today's poem is by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who, alongside Wordsworth, helped reshape English language literature following the changing of the century from the 1700s to the 1800s, beginning what we call the Romanticism movement. The poem is called The Good Great Man, and it explores what Coleridge thinks makes a perfect human. It takes the form of a small disagreement. We'll be breaking it apart to see what we think about it, but go ahead and have a listen. The Good Great Man by Samuel Taylor Coleridge How seldom, friend, a good great man inherits honor or wealth with all his worth and pains. It sounds like stories in the land of spirits if any man obtain that which he merits or any merit that which he obtains. Reply to the above. For shame, dear friend, renouncing this canting strain. What wouldst thou have a good great man obtain? Place? Titles? Salary? A gilded chain? Or throne of corpses which his sword hath slain? Greatness and goodness are not means, but ends. Hath he not always treasures, always friends, the good great man? Three treasures, love and light and calm thoughts, regular as infant's breath. And three firm friends, more sure than day and night, himself, his maker, and the angel death. The poem has two parts. In the first part, we get a kind of argument from one friend to another, saying that the good great man hardly ever gets what he deserves, honor or wealth, no matter how much he works for it. He believes that someone actually getting their just due is a fairy tale. Quote, It sounds like stories from the land of spirits. If any man obtained that which he merits, or any merit that which he obtains. Before moving on to the other friend's reply, I want to point out something odd here. You would expect from a poem with this kind of meter or rhyme that we would be dealing with comfortable numbers of, say, two or four. But this is a five-line passage, ending with rhymes inherit, spirit, and merit with pains and obtains. The only five-line type of poem that I know is a limerick, a type of usually vulgar joke poem. So I can't say for sure, but the rhyme scheme matches. It's kind of posed to us like a joke, 
as if we should scoff and laugh at the person who says, if you're good and great, then you can expect to be unappreciated, unpaid, and dishonored. Coleridge pressures us in this way to not believe in justice, called the idea of someone getting their just rewards literally a story from the land of spirits, a fairy tale. When we then come to the all caps second section, reply to the above. I'm I'm really not a fan of that break, but my feelings are complicated. I'll talk about this in a minute. Let's keep going on with the reply. Reply to the above. We know this reply comes from a friend because both opinions begin with the mention of friend and an exclamation point. This one, for shame, dear friend. Thus shaming his friend for disbelieving in justice and getting what one deserves. Well, the good, great person, at least. The rebuttal is, what wouldst thou have a good, great man obtain? Place, titles, salary, a gilded chain, or throne of corpses which his sworn had slain? In other words, saying, you don't think a good, great man gets what he deserves? Yeah? Well, what would be missing? Do you think the good, great man wants place, titles, salary, high status, honors of titles, regular income, jewelry, perhaps just this mound of dead people to show for their conquest? Of course, we're meant to scoff here too. We're supposed to go, oh, wait, yeah, a good great man doesn't need those things. Those aren't good wishes. No, goodness and greatness are not a result of having things to obtain on the way to success. No, goodness and greatness are ends in themselves. We don't become good or great to get a reward but we become good or great because it's worthwhile goal in itself. So what does the second guy think does make up a good, great man? Friends. Quote, hath he not always treasures, always friends, the good, great man? And then there's more. Three treasures, love and light and calm thoughts, regular as infant's breath. Okay, so the good, great man has friends. Then three treasures, love, light, and calm thoughts. And then one more thing we get from him, more friends. And three firm friends, more sure than day and night, himself, his maker, and the angel death. Okay, so finally three more friends, himself, uh, God or his maker, and the angel death. In this Christian context in which Coleridge was writing, He's talking about knowledge of self, knowing God, and death, which will bring about the meeting of those two characters in the end. So what does Coleridge think the good great man has? Well, friends, love, light, calm thoughts, himself, his maker, and the angel death. That's what the good great man possesses. What Coleridge attempts here is to abbreviate the thesis-antithesis-synthesis process by just giving us antithesis-synthesis. The antithesis is, the good great man is he who never gets what he deserves. That is implied to disagree with the idea that good great people have power, might, status, titles, riches, and so on. Now, he seems to think nobody believes that. That power, might, status, titles, and riches actually makes a good man. But Coleridge seems to 
come up with this synthesis telling us that the good great man does get what they deserve. And what they deserve is not riches. So, there we go. Huh? Thank you, Coleridge. My 21st century mind goes back to this point I mentioned earlier. The break in all caps that reads, Reply to the above. Why? Because without it, we would get this smooth, sonnet-like transition from idea to disagreement. The new idea. From one friend to another, smoothly. And I think in that formulation, we could follow Coleridge's argument and look at it through ourselves. But this edition in all caps, reply to the above, it takes me completely out of the whole thing. I think those reading Coleridge would not have thought anything about this mention of reply to the above in order to designate a new section. But to me, it's obvious and it's completely unnecessary. Remember when I said in, well, the first episode and the second episode (laughs) that poets cut out things because they're not to the point enough? Well, there was a time in which that was not true, as evidence here. So my first few readings, I really hated this line, reply to the above. It's clunky, and even as a reader of this poem, I think, yeah, I got it for the first time, Sam. I find it kind of demeaning and also a bit schoolish, like writing the end at the end of a poem. Anyway. Listen again. The Good Great Man by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. How seldom, friend, a good great man inherits honor or wealth with all his worth and pains. It sounds like stories from the land of spirits. If any man obtain that which he merits, or any merit that which he obtains. Reply to the above. For shame, dear friend, renouncing this canting strain. What wouldst thou have a good great man obtain? Place? Title? Salary? A gilded chain? Or throne of corpses, which his sword had slain? Greatness and goodness are not means, but ends. Hath he not always treasures, always friends, the good great man? Three treasures, love and light and calm thoughts, regular as infant's breath. And three firm friends, more sure than day and night, himself, his maker, and the angel death. So, see, there's that, there's that reply to the above. I think it breaks the spell. It takes me out of the story for a split second. So then I think maybe this drives the point home. Actually, maybe this is intentional because it forces us to look at these two friends arguing from outside. It alienates us from the conversation that's happening. Remember the game analogy? I think Coleridge is intending for us to see the friends saying, no, let's play with the ball, let's play with the stick. And then the teacher says, hey, let me tell you about baseball. But instead, with this reply to the above, I find myself in the place of the teacher actually watching these two arguing friends. One guy talks about how good people don't get what they deserve, believing that all the money and riches that they should get, they don't. And as a 21st century person, I think, yeah, yeah, that's true. 
it seems very much like good, even great people don't get all the good in the world that they deserve. So many people cheat and lie and steal their way to the top that I have a really hard time believing the fairy tale that good people get what they deserve. So I find myself actually in the place of the first friend. I believe titles, money, status, too much shortage of those things is not good at all. Poverty is bad. Injustice is bad. Not caring about other people is bad. And to the second friend, I do also believe that good people have purged themselves from love of money or power or riches, that they are content and their lives are filled with love and light and solid friendships and have a firm grasp of the preciousness of life. So I also agree with that. And reading this in the 21st century, I find myself in the position of seeing this argument and really wanting a synthesis desperately. I want that argument to be solved. But unfortunately, the synthesis in large part has been underwhelming. We stop believing in a purely good or great person, but only good or great to, you know, maybe a higher degree. Maybe we even say, yeah, well, good and great, those are relative, huh? Instead of a synthesis, we've just chipped away at the idea of goodness and greatness. Now, historically, I think Coleridge was probably talking about Napoleon. Uh, And today, we don't have that kind of reverence for Napoleon. We think he maybe gave us some good stuff, like the metric system and surnames, but he was also a warmongering psychopath. But also in the 21st century, we live in a world that is right chock full of polarities. So perhaps we can try to attempt a kind of synthesis to move us past this hump. Try writing a position that is controversial and a reply to the above, hopefully without saying those exact words, with your creative take on the matter. I want to point out something that Coleridge did that you shouldn't forget if you're going to write in this kind of way. What could be most healing and impactful is if we keep up Coleridge's repetition of a particular word along the way. Friend. Have each position argue with each other within the comfort and safety of friendship. So while I have a sort of frustration with romanticism and with this poem, I think the world could learn that from Coleridge and other good, great men. The the deep belief that society is better if we approach other people, even strangers or enemies, with an eye on friendship and love and light. Hey y'all, Preston here. Thanks for tuning in. I'm not a huge fan of this poem today, but I can appreciate it. So that being said, I guess my favorite lines are, hath he not always treasures, always friends, the good, great man? Tell me yours or ask me stuff on Preston's Poetry Podcast Instagram or Facebook pages or via the website, PrestonsPoetryPodcast.com. We'll see y'all.